Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. When you take it live, baby, we'll do it live. I got to tell you, I am I am absolutely positively floored by what I just witnessed. Because Joe Biden has been telling us now for a month, strong sanctions. He's been telling us for a month that he was going to show Putin what is tough. He has never met anybody like Joe Biden. He can't push Joe Biden around. Well, you don't even have a conversation about SWIFT. And maybe we need to discuss what SWIFT is to get an understanding of what it is that Joe Biden didn't do while we look at invasion of Ukraine from Russia. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It is so good to be with you. 833, got Tony. 833-468-8669. I am absolutely positively stunned. Let's talk about what SWIFT is, shall we? So this is the um, provider of secure financial messaging services. Is that, does that help um, to, to, to understand what, what it does? SWIFT is the banking system the Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunication, headquartered in Belgium, goes back to 1973. Not a bank and doesn't actually deal in funds transfers, which is weird that it would be uh, the, the, the thing. What it links is financial institutions, over 11,000 of them in 200 countries. And it alerts banks when transactions are going to occur. So banks, American banks, for example, have a unique SWIFT code. And customers use those for incoming wire transfers. SWIFT in 2021, according to the reporting from NBC News, recorded an average of 42 million messages a day. In Russia in 2020, Russia accounted for 1.5% of those transactions. So if Russia is cut out of SWIFT, as we have been discussing, the sanctions, strong sanctions, cutting them out of SWIFT. It would damage them because they would be cut off from the ability to engage in international financial transactions. Not having the ability to message the banks that the transaction is happening keeps them from having the transaction. Limits their financial future. And he actually said the words that that could be on the table, but it's not on the table right now. After all, what we've already done in terms of sanctions is far worse. Is that the case? Noah Rothman joins us right now from Commentary Magazine. He has long been studying the region and the situation and, of course, American response, American history in the area as well. You watched, you saw the 20 minutes of Joe Biden Uh, talking about the invasion and what is clear a full-scale invasion, if it wasn't already, in Ukraine. Your take on what the president just said. 
I am really not sure what I just witnessed, to tell you the honest truth. Um, the president was far more clear and specific uh, in the initial going of this crisis with the, uh, the first suite of sanctions uh, and then promising future suites of sanctions that would be far clearer. Um, it's unclear why we're holding back at this point in the variety of sanctions that would actually hurt. Joe Biden said he is not imposing sanctions on Vladimir Putin personally, merely his inner circle. He said that he is not imposing sanctions uh, like, as you said, the SWIFT international access to the SWIFT international payment system, in part because that is not a position that Europe is willing to take at the moment, which is understandable. That's out of its hands, but it's nevertheless disappointing. And lastly, I didn't hear anything about the energy sector, and that's really everything and anything that would possibly have an effect on the regime's behavior. Uh, That would be so sweeping and painful that you could actually see conditions uh, force Russia to uh, reduce its presence in Ukraine. Just material concerns alone would compel that. At least it's the only thing that has that potential. But none of that is on the table, as far as I can tell. And he said, you know, let's wait for these sanctions to have an effect, and then let's circle back in about a month. A month? Kiev will be taken in days. Ukraine as a nation will functionally cease to exist in a month. What are we waiting for? Well, that is the fundamental question. What are we waiting for? And if we were to take a step back, when we discuss Joe Biden, I want to make sure that I'm not missing something in, 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 in the history here. He said that the sanctions would be crushing if they invaded. They invaded, and we have now had two conversations from Joe Biden in the last seven days. And in both conversations, we haven't gotten to a full level of crushing sanctions. So you asked the question, what are we waiting for? What is he waiting for? Well, I mean, most likely the president was being honest, albeit perhaps an admission against interest, when he said that the resistance is coming from Europe. And we always knew that it would, particularly old Europe, Western Europe, which has grown very comfortable and reliant upon uh, Russian commerce, uh, Russian uh, uh, investment in their country, and especially Russian energy exports. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if that was the primary obstacle, nor would I be surprised if the president was not being was being a little coy about that just to you know, preserve diplomatic niceties and ensure that maybe there's some cooperation down the line with our European partners. Nevertheless, it fails to meet the measure of this moment, which is a spectacularly grave one with profound implications for the security architecture in the world that we all take, you know, granted or take for granted. Um, so I would like to see an all hands on deck moment. And I have not seen it. The problem I have with your explanation, it's not a problem with you, talking to Noah Rothman of Commentary Magazine, Noah C. Rothman on Twitter, is that if we're saying, well, Western Europe has an issue with it, that's qualifying the sanctions. And everything Joe Biden told America never once engaged the concept of a qualifier. And all politics being local... How does he not look like a flip-flopper, like a squish? Well, pick your terminology when he isn't standing strong for the people of Ukraine. I, I'm, I honestly don't know. Uh, in, a, in an effort to be charitable to the president, uh, I think he's in an impossible position, uh, especially vis-a-vis our allies. Uh, we, can't, we can't have a comprehensive approach to this without everybody being on the same page. And it's very difficult to keep all of Europe on the same page, particularly when it comes to Russia, always has been. So Joe Biden finds himself in a bind that is not entirely of his own, of his making. And I want to be sympathetic towards that. At the same time, it's go time. Europe is going to be reluctant to embrace the kind of crushing sanctions that would preserve the security architecture in Europe that we rely on and they rely on. Then it's time to go it alone. 
and Europe needs to understand that. Um, there was a time in, in my memory, in my living adult memory, when we did precisely that uh, in defense of our own interests, and I support that, and I would support it again if the president was so inclined to take that, take that course. It's a hard one, but I think it may be the last one available to him if he's serious about countering the threat posed by Russian territorial expansion. Before I let you go, we have seen how quickly the Russians have moved in this second tranche. We know that we have uh, casualties already, both military and civilian. We know that Putin has gained control of the site at Chernobyl, which has a lot of people uh, freaked uh, at this pace, because we've also heard uh, from, for example, uh, Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army radio analyst, uh, that there's the possibility that he has been bogged down in a couple places because people, the, the Ukrainians, have been fighting back. Based on what you're seeing, how quickly can Russia take the country? Uh, that's, again, I, I'm not qualified to answer that. I can only speculate, and I have only access to open source intelligence just like everybody else. So I, I know I know as much as the fog of war allows. Um, but if you if Russia was able to secure the airport in Kiev and introduce uh, troops through that airport, uh, they could take the capital in a matter of hours. Uh, and we may be seeing that within the next 24 to 48 hours. Uh, whether or not the country is secured is another matter entirely. The country may never be secured. But the decapitation of the legitimate elected government of Ukraine is imminent. Noah C. Rothman, Commentary Magazine. Find him on Twitter, Noah C. Rothman. Always a pleasure, man. I appreciate you coming in on short notice. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz. Live from CPAC in Orlando, Florida, presented by Relay Indiana, this is Tony Katz Today. Major Mike Lyons, retired U.S. Army, will be with us in a little bit. Discuss what he saw from President Biden. This statement about sanctions that, well, confuses, to say the least. We're not going to engage the larger sanctions. All I know is that uh, barrel prices on oil went down. Brent crude is back under 100 and the Dow, the Dow was down 600 when Biden was speaking. It's now down 441. Maybe it's because they didn't see the swift sanctions. And they're like, okay, you know, Russia lives to trade another day. I, I guess, uh, I guess the, the, the traders themselves get to make another buck or two. The situation... You know, it's, it, it's funny. We, we know what the situation is. But I, I must tell you, I think Noah Rothman has remarkable insight and knowledge of the region. But what I uh, said to, to him in, in a text, I think you're too nice to I think you're being too nice to Biden. I, refu I refuse, refuse to uh, really uh, get off this, this, this key subject. It's President Biden who played tough guy, who told us if there is an invasion by Russia into Ukraine, the sanctions would be swift and severe. 
And that is not what happened. That isn't what happened. Well, that isn't going to be the thing of what happens. Well, then you lied. And if your issue is, is that Europe may not go along with it, well, then yes, as Noah Rothman explained, you're going to have to go it alone, whether it's SWIFT or any other sanctions. And other people are going to have to follow your lead and your strength. That's what leadership requires sometimes. This is the right thing to do, and we're going to do it. Biden doesn't even have the character for that. How do we expect him to take on Vladimir Putin? That's right. He can't. He can't. Now, there's some other things going on and, and worthy of our attention. I caught this from Dr. Leanna Wen. Now, if you don't know Dr. Leanna Wen, she's over there at CNN. And she, she used to run Planned Parenthood. And uh, that's not somebody I can really find respect for. And I'm not saying I found respect for her now. What I find fascinating is she did as much as anybody to make you afraid of, of COVID, to make you believe that everything was a disaster and you were absolutely going to get destroyed every second of every single day. And now all of a sudden, she's talking about the harm done to children. Maybe we went too far. Maybe we went overboard. And how interesting is that? And now it's a tweet that says a new study shows that COVID school closures affected cognitive and motor development in preschoolers. Learning loss is most pronounced in kids most at risk. We must focus on keeping kids in school and on closing educational disparities. She is a domestic terrorist. Not because I said so, but because the Justice Department said so. This is exactly the kind of pro-child talk that leads to someone being labeled a domestic terrorist. We know this. We've seen this. We have the data. We have seen again and again and again that we have an increase in, in kids in, in speech therapy. We have an increase in, in kids having uh, anxiety issues and a whole host of others. And we saw that the CDC changed their own rules. They had uh, guidelines, right, for childhood development. And what they said is, is that at the age 24 months, a child should have 50 words under their belt. Five zero, 50 words under their belt. And now all of a sudden, it's 30 months. Not 24 months to get 50 words, 30 months to get 50 words. Increasing the timeline by six months. Bringing the standard down. That's what the CDC did, and it is obvious that they did so because their thoughts, ideas, beliefs, their absolute fear has caused children great damage. That's what's happened. It's not really a deniable subject, is it? We can't go about thinking that, oh, this is just made up. Oh, this is just a, a plot of the political right. None of that is true. Not an ounce of it. 
what's true is that there's been serious damage done. Serious, serious damage. And now all of a sudden, they've, they, they, they've, they've come around. Uh, I'm glad. I may be glad, but it still seems like too little too late and still seems highly political. What do you have, the governor of Nevada who is now get it, getting aggressive on, on, on COVID? I, for, I forget what he was doing. He, he was, it was on COVID. It was on a host of things where the Democrat governor is now sounding more and more like a conservative, lauding parent voices in schools, vowing more police funds. He's not opposed to parents speaking at the school board meeting. He wants more parents speaking. Why? Because it's the popular position and all politicians are thermometers. They measure the temperature and then they react accordingly. The people are the thermostat. We change the temperature. The electorate is the thermostat. The thermostat changes the temperature. The politician is the thermometer. They record the temperature and then react to it. That's the difference. And here we have a Democratic governor who clearly has seen that, well, what my party wants kind of sucks. But what, uh, what, what, what the people want, well, I think that's where I'm going to focus. That's where I'm going to focus my time and my attention. The proof is in the pudding. The proof is in the pudding in what they do, not what they say, in what they do. And what they're doing is recognizing that parents matter. More school boards need to do the same. And when they don't, vote them out. And when they say, hey, you can't speak to us like that, vote them out. They're not good enough to be on your school board. More to get to. Keep it right here. I'm Tony Katz at CPAC in Orlando. Brought to you by Relay Indiana. Live from CPAC in Orlando, Florida. Presented by Relay Indiana. This is Tony Katz today. In this country will bear the consequences. Today, I'm authorizing additional strong sanctions and new limitations on what can be exported to Russia. This is going to impose severe cost on the Russian economy, both immediately and over time. Yet still no sanctions regarding SWIFT. President Biden, speaking for about 20 minutes, actually took questions from the assembled press, which I think he regrets. But I can't tell you what the sanctions are, and I can't tell you how they are the strong sanctions that are supposed to cripple the Russian economy and stop Putin from further invade. Can you be stopped from further invasion? He's already invaded. Reports that he's taken airports. And then there are reports saying, no, 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 the Ukrainians have taken them back. Tony Katz. Tony Katz, today, it is great to be with you. Mike Lyons joins us right now. Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army, West Point graduate, military analyst. We, you see him, you, of course you hear him here, you see him on Newsmax and other places. Uh, before we get into what President Biden said, give me the latest as you're hearing it on the ground. We have heard the Russians taking uh, the, the Chernobyl site. We've heard about Russians taking 
taking uh, taking the airports, not necessarily the biggest airports, but taking other airports that would allow them to bring troops directly into Ukraine and then disseminate them from there. What is the latest? What info can you tell us? So, Tony, we've not seen shock and awe. We've seen very, you know, specific targeted um, military installations, depots, um, airfields and the like. And we see that one airfield to the north of Kiev where there's a CNN report where you got Russian troops there to try to take a, a smaller airfield, let's say. But, but taking Chernobyl, I'm just trying to be confused about that. Like there's nothing there strategically. It's an entombed um, nuclear facility. There's nothing going on there. So I, and the fact and that where that is, that's coming from Belarus. So for whatever reason, the, the troops from the north there decided to you know, drive at the border and head due south and, and head to that location. Um, but it's not shock and awe. And, and, and I'm not saying they're getting bogged down. Ukraine's a big country, and there's going to have to be a lot more of this coordination between fires and, and tanks and maneuver units, but they just don't, don't seem to be getting there. So for whatever reason, uh, the roads are blocked and they're not, they're not moving out as fast as I thought it was going to be. I thought they'd be a, lot, a little further along than now than they, where they are right now. You had mentioned that earlier. We spoke during my morning show and you said bogged down and you're continuing on that, on that line, but we still see a full-scale, if, if you will, maybe I'm using the wrong terminology. I consider this a full-scale invasion of, of Ukraine. How would you describe it? Yeah, there's no question it's that, but it's just not going in the playbook that I thought that they were going to use, and that's more like that blitzkrieg and combining speed and, and shock effect of armored formations. And, and it's maybe because we overestimated what they actually did in Syria that was built up here that they were involved with, and, and really the only country that's ever done that is the United States 30 years ago in Desert Storm, where we you know, put those divisions online. I guess we did it in 2003 as well. Uh, but we, were un, there was, we didn't have the terrain um, issue that, that maybe that exists here. Even though Ukraine fundamentally flat, they should be you know, just kind of rolling through there, and it just doesn't seem to be happening. But I, I, for whatever reason, I'm seeing constraint, and I don't know if that's for a reason. It's that, maybe that's in the back of Putin's mind. He's looking for an off-ramp. We've got to be thinking of an off-ramp as well. Um, you know, he's, the bottom line is he's still going to have nuclear weapons at the end of this, and you know, we're not going to try him in front of the Hague with that, with that kind of capability if he's still running the country. So, so again, I'm just surprised, and I hope it's not – I hope it's just that. I hope that, that, that he's restraining on purpose to try to see what the Ukraine military and what the Ukraine people are going to do. You know, you bring up an interesting point, talking to retired Army Major Mike Lyons, radio analyst. Uh, he, 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 the idea of restraint, I think, is a perspective one. You, having the experience, look at this uh, with, with a 30,000-foot view and see what could happen and what's happening and maybe there's a purpose for it that would allow him to save face and the world would say whoo that wasn't so bad but you still have more than 40 dead ukrainians right now in terms of the numbers that we have and those numbers are going to climb Mm -hmm. that's how we would view the off-ramp it might be very different than how the ukrainians would view the off-ramp Mm-hmm. And you already have the fact that the Russians did invade. And I don't believe that anybody thinks that these troops are going to be leaving those areas in the Donbass, uh, Donetsk or Luhansk. So if right. you're Ukraine, what's the off-ramp here? 
Well, I mean, he wants the government gone. He wants the leader gone. And, right. Um, so that, that might have to – that might be a casualty of this. And the question gets back to does he do that in order to kind of save his country and save his countrymen? You've got people huddled in subway stations afraid of being you know, bombed indiscriminately by – uh, Russian military, so maybe that's what it is. Um, you know, is this going <clears> to <throat> be about one individual? We we don't know. Um, I still think he wants the whole country. I think he still wants to control it. He wants the he wants the resources. He wants all that goes with it. And um, you know, we, we don't we think his intent could could go forward from that. I'm also starting to think they didn't have enough troops. Um, as much as I thought he had enough troops, but I'm, I'm starting to think now that maybe he's recognized that he's going to need another 100,000 troops or so. I'm not sure where they're coming from because there's only so many troops he's got hidden behind the Ural Mountains there. So he's going to have to get more of motherland Russia involved if I think if he wants to hold Ukraine. I think he knows that. He has called for not only the demilitarization of Ukraine, but the removal of the Ukrainian uh, government. You're, you're absolutely correct uh, uh, about that. Zelensky's got to go. It's all got to go. And also there have been, you know, just, just the utilization of Air Force. There's been conversations about uh, no-fly zones, I, I, I believe, and in terms of something that the, the Ukrainians want. Does it really, really matter if he has enough troops? And couldn't he just, with the snap of a finger, send another 50,000 troops down through Belarus? I don't think so. I really don't think he's got that capacity. I think that would take him a month or so. It would take him more than that. This is not like moving chess pieces. Uh, the the no-fly zone, from our perspective, would be a folly. It would be clearly an act of war if we decided to do something like that. That might make him continue to go north into Belarus. And maybe, maybe he annexes the Belarusian military. Maybe that's really the only way he gains troops quickly um, from, from that perspective. And if he does that... Now he really threatens Poland, and the Polish military goes on full alert. And, it, and this is you know, where the dominoes are starting to fall now, one after another after another. Um, so, again, we've got to be careful on what we're going to do in terms of having him cause this situation to escalate. And, and maybe the, the president, when he answered the questions, I think he got himself down a, a path he shouldn't have gone down. Maybe he just should have left it at what he said and walked away, but he just wasn't able to help himself, I guess. Well, it, it was a weird time to actually take the questions, and he's going to be regretting this one yeah. because he didn't have answers. And we'll see. You know, I, I, I listen to what you say, and I, and I take seriously what you say. I, I have questions. Mm-hmm. But we're going to get into that tomorrow. We'll check back in and see what the latest is and whether or not you're right and Putin is looking for an off-ramp. Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army. I appreciate you being with us. More coming up. I'm Tony Katz. Live from CPAC in Orlando, Florida, presented by Relay Indiana, this is Tony Katz Today. Let's talk a little politics. Do Republicans have the the strength, the wherewithal to put together a message that gets them 2022? They can win 2022, but do they have the message to do it? Tony Katz, Tony Katz Today, great to be with you. Mark Lauder joins us right now, Chief Communications Officer for the America First Policy Institute. He worked in the Trump White House. He worked with Vice President Mike Pence. He's an Indianapolis guy. Through and through, he has done it all. Good to see you, young man. It's great to see you, Tony. It's been too long. Uh, it's it, Well, you don't call, you don't write. <laughs> well, what's a, I moved to Florida. You know? what, 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 what's a boy to do? Uh, 
you know, th this group that, that you're with, this is, this is a lot of Trump people, a lot of former uh, Trump uh, people. There's an interesting story in that in which you, you see a media outlet, uh, the media apparatchik, talk about how awful, how terrible, how horrible, everyone's terrible, they're the worst, and yet you see an entire organization built on sharing uh, conversations uh, uh, about these Trump policies, and they're taking hold. Yes. So, what, so the truth is in, in the reality, not in the, in the telling. Right, you're absolutely right. And it's one of the things about America First policies, and it doesn't matter whether it's 2022 where we know Donald Trump's name's not going to be on the ballot. We don't know about 24. Probably can guarantee you 26 and 28, his, name's, his name won't be on the ballot. If we are going to be successful long-term in fulfilling the mission, the things he fought for, well, we need to put the intellectual capacity behind it. And so the difference with America First Policy Institute and other great conservative think tanks is that we're not filled with uh, academia, we're not filled with university professors, we're filled with people who are actually in the White House, in the highest levels of government, cabinet-level secretaries and beyond, that we're doing it. So when you guys talk about the things that you're putting the intellectual capacity to it, I take a look at the areas of interest. And one of the areas of interest is environment. And you could not find uh, people on cable news outlets that would connect Donald Trump to environment or, and, you know, his, his policies or what we think are valuable conservative policies to environment. What are they in your view? Well, I think one of the things that the president, and he said it often in the White House, it never took hold, was that we can have clean air, clean water, clean land and jobs at the same time. Too many people think it's mutually exclusive. And we lowered carbon emissions. We were increasing investments through private sector investment, not the government, and also creating American jobs, supporting American manufacturers, and not kowtowing to China, the world's leading polluter, and also giving up our jobs to them at the same time. So it doesn't have to be one or the other. And so what we're trying to do is create the framework that whether you're running for Congress, City Hall, the White House, whatever, State House, you can get on our site. We are nonpartisan, nonprofit. You can look at the white papers, the actual research, the data, and then build from that your platform that would be an America first platform, fighting for the same things that the man was fighting for, even if he's not personally on the ballot to do it. Now, talk to me about Republicans in 2022, conservatives in 2022, is the only way to win to be attached to a Donald Trump message? Or can you be attached to what you consider to be a conservative message and it doesn't have to invoke Donald Trump, right? Notice I didn't say never Trump, because I don't right. understand never Trump. There's, I think it's a valueless proposition I've said so many times. But do you have to proactively tie yourself to Donald Trump to win in 2022? I think if you want to win, you need to tie yourself to the policies that he was fighting for. The American worker, a strong, uh, a strong uh, economy, a strong national defense. I mean, we're seeing so many of those things on display right now where it's, you know, I saw that, what, bacon is $9 a, a pound? Shut your mouth. I've seen it. Shut your filthy mouth. <laughs> it's, it's, it's heresy. And gasoline's already at 350 and going higher. So we know the other policies worked. So this is allowing you to do the research, to come up with your proposals, see what America First, our experts are suggesting. You can run on an America First agenda. Mm -hmm. And obviously how you tie that with the former president would be up to you. But I think these are the policies that got him elected. They're going to be the policies that, and they're, they're the policies that actually got us an increase in number of seats in Congress 
when we were supposed to lose them in 2020. So, so this is about policy conversation, and this is why I have the conversation, and, and I've had people accuse me of being never Trump before because of this conversation. I reject the notion. I'm interested in, in the fight. I'm interested in the spirit. I'm interested in the style. I'm interested in the lessons learned far more than I'm interested in the man. I'm not anti-Trump. But if you ask me what is the thing that I need going forward, I need the fighting spirit, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And I need things that you can explain to people, this is how it gets better. We do this right here, this policy prescription right. right here, this point of view right here, and your kid's life is better. And here we can show you how that works. It seems to me that this is part of that conversation. It, it absolutely is. And then a lot of that, you know, we have to have tough conversations. And, you know, one of the things that we're even talking about is the world is obviously spinning, you know, with Ukraine and Russia is one of the things that Donald Trump did was he wasn't afraid to have difficult conversations with our friends. Sometimes that's hard. It's easier to talk harshly with an, with an adversary than it is with a friend. But the decisions that were made by Europe help lead to this. Their lack of investment in NATO, their sanctioning, and, and they're basically, they're becoming dependent on Russian energy in, in many sectors. There's a lot of things that went into this. The president called them out for it. It wasn't because he was anti-NATO or anti-Germany or whatever. It was because you're making bad decisions that are going to make the world less safe. We're seeing those things play out right now. And as I look forward, I see conservatives, on these kinds of policies, these kinds of messages winning, retaking the majority, and then when it comes to 2024, we've set the stage. Whomever is going to run and win is going to be fighting for the same policies. They may be doing it with their own style because one of the things, Tony, I think we've got to get back to, Donald Trump opened the door for many people to come into the party. We saw amazing increases in, in, uh, in black Americans, Hispanic and Latino Americans. We saw some leave that didn't like the style, didn't like the tweets. They liked the results. Right. Well, now with this, we can bring you back with that policy. We can bring you back with those results. And you can make the decisions about the man or whomever, the person that will be leading the party or leading on the ticket, but it's the policies that are gonna keep you around in 1980, we used to call them Reagan Democrats. They re-elected Reagan in 84. They held their nose a little bit and voted for George H.W. because they loved where we were in 1988. But then another guy came along from Arkansas and said, I feel your pain. And they were How like, oh. have been practicing yeah, that? I've been working on it. Right. Yeah. But they went, yes, yes, yes. Because they, they were voting for the man and not voting for the, for the principles. Our job is to make sure that we build the, the foundation of a movement, not just to win a campaign, but to be sustaining for decades to come. Mark Lauder is his name. Uh, the site, AmericaFirstPolicy.com. You can check it out uh, for yourself. Uh, Trump is uh, speaking on Saturday. He is. Uh, is it going to be a barn burner? I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> this is a, this is the crowd that, that will uh, hang on his every word, and he usually delivers for is them. Is this the DeSantis crowd or is this the Trump crowd? Oh, it's a Trump crowd. Not a DeSantis uh, crowd. Not, no, it doesn't mean it, it doesn't have to be See mutually. See what I did there? Yeah, that's doesn't awesome. have to be doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. Yeah. I, I'm, I am told I, I did not get to hear it, but I've heard that Governor DeSantis gave a great speech today. I, I I'm pretty sure that in the end, 
it's mutually exclusive. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the way it has to be. Mark Lauder, I appreciate you being with us, man. Absolutely. Go enjoy uh, the show. Enjoy your time. So we're going to have updates on Ukraine tomorrow. We'll have updates from CPAC tomorrow. We've got videos that are going to be appearing uh, on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash 93WIBC. Oh, there's one of your guys, Matt Whitaker, right there. We spoke to him earlier. Uh, you, you, we have a lot of content coming your way. Some of the photos uh, from uh, CPAC brought to you by Relay Indiana and appreciate them for their sponsorship. We'll be back at it at 6 a.m., but keep up with Facebook because we've got more stuff coming. More stuff coming, including a, we're supposed to do an interview with some pizza. You have to look to the website for that. That's just the way it works, guys. Tomorrow, everyone, take care.